This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. To the highway, in a brand new day, gotta let it go. Welcome back to Open the Voice Gate Rewind and Rewatch, episode 42, covering Mercury Rising 2013 from the Meadowlands Expo Center in Secaucus, New Jersey on April 7th, 2013. We are members of the Voices of Wrestling Podcast Network. You can find us on the Voices of Wrestling feed or on our own dedicated RSS feed on all podcast platforms and applications. You can follow us on Twitter at Open Voice Gate. If you'd like to donate to the show, just click the link in the show notes. It'll take you to our redcircle.com page. You click the box that says sponsor the show and you can set up a one-time or reoccurring donation. No obligation whatsoever, but I would like to thank our previous donors. I'm one of your hosts. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears, joined always by my co-host and friend Case Slow and Case. We are now at a point where we're under 10 shows. We had such a crystal memory going into two weeks ago, when, or rather like leading up to open the ultimate gate 2013 mercury rising 2013 was a show i was kind of foggy about before i started watching did you have a similar feeling about that as well this is a show i've seen probably three or four times because i had the show on dvd and i i just used to just rewatch dvd after dvd and in, in my days where i had less going on and i, I noted this last week but i, I should note this was the final Drangate USA DVD that was released. The final year of the promotion is not available in any physical copies. But watching this show, I was like, oh, is this the card? Like, are these all of the matches on this show? Because it wasn't necessarily a bad show. But I, I was, yeah, I was almost waiting for something more on this show, and that more never came. Yeah, it, it's something as we get into the show itself. This is really something that's indicative for late Dragon Gate USA where, you know, a lot of stuff happened and you're kind of like, when is the good stuff going to get here? When is good stuff going to get here? And it came, but it came much later in the show than we were used to expecting, I would say. Uh, yes, that is a very fair assessment. There's a lot of stuff on this show. Oh boy, there's a lot of stuff on the show in case. There's a lot of stuff we need to kind of talk about as we go back to Japan in the lead up to this as... You know, as we're running less shows, we have more and more TV to talk about, about what happened in, in Dragon Gate Japan. I know you have a couple notes leading up to this, and it just is a, kind of a wild time in wrestling leading up to this. Yeah, there's quite a bit here, but I, I think Dragon Gate at this point is in a very interesting spot as we approach year a year and a half of Shima's Open the Dreamgate run in Japan. And as we'll talk about on these shows, 
that I'm about to run down, there's just a lot of interesting names. And we start with the February 7th Cork and Hall show. The undercard is pretty non-essential, but I will read the back half of this card here, which had Masao Yoshino, Naruki Doi, and Ricochet defeating Don Fuji, Dragon Kid, and Masaki Mochizuki, which I should note after that match, Masao Yoshino announced that Rich Swan would be returning to Japan for the first time since World 2012, for whatever reason, and this comes from the iHeartDG translation, for whatever reason, Mr. Don Fuji took exception to this, then Kagatora came out for no reason to remind Fuji that he was the real top drinker of Dragon Gate. He began to sing a song about drinking, which gave Yagi some inspiration for a match. Swan, Fuji, and Kagatora will face off in a three-way match next month at Corican Hall with the three falls, one for wrestling, one for drinking, and one for singing. And then this show closed out with the team of Kness and Kanichiro Rai defeating Shingo and Yamato. And then an eight-man tag match with Tozawa, Hulk, KZ, and Mr. Tomomakai Penguin defeating Horiguchi, Susumu, Saito, and Cyber Kong. Yeah, this is part of the Cyber Kong Next Unit series, if I'm right. And, you know, a lot of things, it's kind of interesting that now going back and talking about Tomahawk on these shows, he would be out, he'd be on excursion very quickly. We've already talked about him in Dragon Gate USA in a way, but very interesting cork. And I do not remember the semi-main event of Yamato and Takagi versus Kness and Arai, but it does seem like an extremely Mike Spears match. I might have to try to hunt this down and, and give this one another watch. Yeah, Mike, the good news for you, if you want to hunt down that tag match, it is on uh, the ditch site, Shingo and Yamato versus Kness and Arai. So that is that is one that is out there that I would recommend checking out. Yeah, no, I mean, Kness, when Kness is not fragile is someone that's always kind of remarkable against that team there. I mean, Windows wasn't there for a long time, but for some of us, they're here for a good time. (laughs) February 11th in Wakayama. This was the Memorial Gate show. It happened a month earlier than it typically does. Uh, the stuff on this show that mattered, Shingo and Yamato defeated Yoshino and Sachi Hoko Boy. Don Fuji and Mochizuki retained the Twin Gate belts over Doi and Ricochet. Ten-man loser leaves town, captain's fall elimination match with the jimmies of Horiguchi, Susumu, Naoki Tanizaki, Ryo Saito, and Kagatora, defeating Mad Blanky of Hulk, Tozawa, Mondai Ryu, and Mr. PP, Tomomakai Penguin, who took the fall and had to leave town. Your main event, Shima, retained the Open the Dream Gate belt against Jimmy Kanda. After the loser leaves town match, uh, and I will read this from iHeartDG, Tanizaki praised Penguin for his fighting ability and asked how he felt about losing. Penguin admitted defeat and tearfully said that while he had plenty of things left to accomplish in wrestling, he would abide by the rules of the match. Tanizaki agreed that the rules were the rules. However, Penguin was important to the future of Dragon Gate. Further, he actually had grown fond of the Tayanoka Dolphin ring name. He thought that a Dolphin and Penguin team had some potential. Penguin was humbled by the offer, but received a bicycle kick from Akira Tozawa for his trouble. First he lost, then he cried like a baby. Now he was considering teaming with the enemy. Mad Blinky were done with him. Tanizaki made the save, and Mad Blinky were run off. Dolphin and Penguin shared a firm handshake. The Aquatic Twins. They existed very briefly. I remember Alan Forel, I think on the figure four wrestling he, on one of the boards had like this really cool like fan drawing of uh t-hawk and tanizaki as a penguin and a dolphin and it was really cute i remember that like like that's my fond memory of the aquatic twins but yeah so this is how 
T-Hawk eventually was written off to go on his short excursion. And the rest of the show, this was back when they were doing DVDs of it, and I never got the DVD of it. So I've not seen the show. I would really like to hunt down that Mochi Fuji versus Doi and Ricochet match. I mean, I kind of also want to see Shingo and Yamato versus Amigo Tag. <laughs> that is a match that would mean a lot more a few years down the line, but you're right, that does sound like fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just like an interesting thing, and then like Wakayama, I mean, that it was only recently that they stopped being sold shows that was only released on DVD, and they would have like interesting stuff and things that like mattered happened on these shows that just never would like make tape or you had to go order it from Amazon Japan, so... I'm mad to see about the show. February 15th, Kobe Sambo Hall. The last two matches are important here. The semi-main event, which was a Dreamgate number one contendership match where Masato Yoshino defeated Naruki Doi in a singles match. And then your main event, the aforementioned Aquatic Twins, which it's so funny you referenced Alan Forrell's profile picture. The, the shit we waste our life remembering, because I know for a fact that was Alan's pro wrestling only avatar which is very funny to think okay. about that, that photo on that forum but the main event of this show saw tozawa and hulk defeat the aquatic twins and then this comes from iHeartDG. Matt Blanky went after Penguin after the main event. Hulk took scissors to his hair. The veteran army made the save for some reason. Both units argued for a bit. Unit all, uh, Both units argued for a bit until an all-out warfare 4 vs 4 tag was set. Tozawa rejected it, saying that if they were going to really go all-out, Ichikawa should be involved to make it 5 versus 5. Mochizuki reminded Tozawa that Bad Blanky currently only contains four members. This is the key part here. Tozawa replied that Mochi underestimated his overseas networking. The fifth member of Bad Blanky will be the returning Uha Nation. The veteran army was shocked by this and complained about having to field Ichikawa in the group while the other side got Uha. That was more of a minus for them, and in any event, the match was set up for a later date. Yeah, yeah, I I remember this is this angle where like you don't do yeah oh how are you you have to have each a cow it's like you only have four people no my best friend's coming back I, I I made friends and he's coming back just all time like Akira Tozawa at this time like Mad Blanky would not be the Mad Blanky that it became in 2013 later on but Tozawa just having like these like promo responses just always cracks me up. I hope to God there is a situation later in my life when I can use the phrase, you underestimated my overseas networking. I really hope that comes into play. <laughs> if we had a, if we did like quotations in like the show title, it would be, you underestimate my underseas, uh, my overseas networking, because that's tremendous. That's such a shit thing to say. <laughs> well, speaking of overseas networking, we had at the end of February on the 22nd, 23rd, and 24th, the Dragon Gate UK Festival of Fire. And I will run down these shows real quick. Night one had in the dark match, Dragon Gate alum Martin Kirby defeating Sticks. And then your main show, Lion Kid defeats Naruki Doi. Jimmy Susumu defeats Noam Dar. Marty Skrull wins a four-way over Hulk, Shima, and Mark Haskins. Akira Tozawa defeats Geki Horiguchi. Masaki Mochizuki defeats Yamato. In your main event, Shingo defeats Ricochet. Night two of the Festival of Fire had Masaki Mochizuki defeating Noam Dar, Mark Haskins winning a four-way over Hulk, Lion Kid, and Naruki Doi, 
Ricochet beat Geki Horiguchi, Yamato beat Jimmy Susumu, Shima beat Marty Skrull, and Shingo beat Akira Tozawa. And finally, night three of the Festival of Fire, Marty Skrull defeats Mark Haskins, Yamato defeats Noam Dar, Akira Tozawa defeats the Lion Kid, Horiguchi goes over on Hulk, Masaki Mochizuki wins over Naruki Doi. In your main event, a match I would love to see, Jimmy Susumu and Shingo Takagi team up and they defeat the Spike Mohicans of Shima and Ricochet. That just sounds amazing. Like, like I mean, that just is a remarkable match right there. And, you know, uh, Dragon Gate UK, worth noting, they have, and I'm going to count here, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine people who are not uh, Gaijin from Japan. So nine Dragon Gate Japan people. Oh, what could have been, Mike? What could have been? And and these shows are the hardest shows to find out there. I mean, I have I've seen I think two Drangate UK shows in full, maybe three, but I have not seen anything from the Festival of Fire, and all three of those cards sound absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, yeah, and of course it's just just like a remarkable thing about you like look at the the fortunes of it, and then of course Drangate UK would end in the same time as dragon gate usa but you like look at these shows and you look at the attendance there it felt like there was some momentum there like i feel like that there's probably like costs reasons why i mean you're flying over 13 people either from japan or from the united states out over that but it's just kind of remarkable stuff that they were doing that and just looking at like the attendances on cage match they're drawing 700 people each time we go back to Japan at the beginning of March for Champion Gate in Osaka. These took place on March 2nd and March 3rd. The first night of Champion Gate, I'll just read the title matches here. We got a, we got a lot to get through today. But the title matches on the show, actually, the, the I, I should mention the, the top match that was a title match, Masato Yoshino and Rich Swan versus Shima and Super Shisa. That is incredibly up our alley. And then your 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 title <laughs> matches on the show really more of the same where Mad Blanky of BB Hulk and Uha Nation ended what at the time was the second longest Twin Gate run in history of Don Fuji and Masaki Mochizuki. In your Brave Gate title match on Champion Gate in Osaka, Dragon Kid defeats Hubbo. Mike, do you have any memories of that match? No, I don't. I don't. Sadly, like the, the this is this is a card that probably in 2013 I was like, oh yeah, this card happened. This is interesting. I'll try to watch it when the episode of Infinity hits. Hey, but now I'm like Hubbo versus Dragon Kid. That is my thing. Like I want to see that. So you know, I'm I'm angry at 2013 Mike Spears right now. I I would be too for a number of things, but luckily we have the March 3rd <laughs> Champion Gate in Osaka show, which had Yamato versus Jimmy Susumu in a in a special singles match on it, as well as Kotoka and Masaki Mochizuki versus Shingo Takagi and Super Shenlong the third, and then your title matches Doi Swan and Sachi Hoko Boy win the Twin Gate belts from Horoguchi Naoki Tanizaki and Ryo Saito, and Shima defeats Masato Yoshino to retain the. Dreamgate belt. This was the first major title that Rich Swan had won during his time in Japan. And I think this was Sachi Hoko Boy's first major title ever. Yes. No, no, no. He he quit. He briefly held it for six days with Naruki Doi and Masato Yoshino in 2012. So this was his first real title run. Yeah, a, a well-deserving team, a team I would like to see stack up uh, with one another in 2021 as well. I think that Doi, Swan, and Sachihoko uh, boy team would be very, very entertaining now. Uh, speaking of things that are entertaining, the March 7th Cork and Hall show, 
uh, which had a number of fun things on it. I'll go through this full card because it opened with Doi Yoshino and Sachi Hoko Boy beating the Jimmies of Horiguchi, Kanda, and Susumu. There was an open the Owari Gate title match on this show with Saito defeating Kikutaro. And then match three, another one right up our alley. Uh, Mr. QQ Tanoki Dolphin, Naoki Tanazaki, he defeats Super Shisa. The alcohol singing and pro wrestling three-way dance was won by Kagatora. It should be noted that Rich Swan performed a wonderful rendition of Billie Jean by Michael Jackson. And then your final three matches on the show, Kness defeats Shingo Takagi, Kotoka, Kenichiro Rai, and Cyber Kong defeat Chihiro Tamanaga, Super Shenlong, and Yamato in a Captain's Fall match. In your main event, Nanawa-style elimination match, Tozawa, Hulk, Keizi, Ryo, and Uha defeat Shima, Dragon Kid, Hubbo, Mochizuki, and Sakurai Chikawa. Yeah, another phase of the, uh, the, the Cyber Kong unit decision was he was in a Captain's Fall match where Kotoka was the captain against Akatsuki with Chihiro Tamanaga as the captain. Real shambles right there. <laughs> uh, to, say, to, to say the least, that is a match I have not seen and do not have any, uh, we'll say, desire to see. But the good news is after Kness's match, or I'm sorry, after the main event, Kness capitalized on his momentum and called out Shima. He wanted a Dreamgate title match. Shima said he didn't back down from any challenge and accepted. Kness said that he would force open the door to his dreams and that he was still full of miracles. And Mike, that leads us to the April 4th Cork and Hall show, the final show that we'll talk about on this timeline in the Dragon Gate universe. It was Kagatora, Kanda, and Tanazaki defeating Fuji, Mochizuki, and Super Shisa in the opener. Keizi and Mondai Ryu defeat Cyber Kong and Stalker Ichikawa. That matches a violent offense against everybody. But luckily it gets better <laughs> as you have Shingo defeating Kotoka, Yoshino, Doi, and Sachihoko Boy defeating Genki Horiguchi, Jimmy Susumu, and Ryo Saito. Yamato defeats Kenichiro Arai. Hulk and Tozawa defeat Dragon Kid and Hubbo. In your main event, Shima defeats Kness for the Dreamgate belt. Uh, Mike, I have not tracked down this match. It's one I would really like to see. Have you seen Shima versus Kness? Not in years, man. Again, 2013 Mike should have saved files. Uh... Just like it was a wild, it was like a wild thing. Like when Kness would get started up like that, it was really kind of cool. And like that promo he gave saying, like, it'll open the dreams to my miracles was just like remarkable stuff. This whole show really is kind of wild when you like, especially when you look at like match times. Yamato versus Kenichiro Rai was 15 minutes. 15 minutes. Like, did that need to go 15 minutes? No, it does not need to go 15 minutes, but they went 15 minutes. And then, yeah, uh, Hulk and Akira versus Dragon Kid and Habu, I remember being kind of fun like it was one of those things that like everything was kind of compressed on the show because you had a near 30 minute shima dreamgate match but just kind of like an interesting cork and then at a time where the company could not do any wrong in tokyo i mean they they had a incredibly long streak of sellouts at that time i will read you this note from the post-match angle that happened uh we talk all the time about how Benkei and Kaisuke Yakuda deserve credit for showing their male vulnerability, and I think this post-match angle uh, will shed some light on some other vulnerable males in the company. I'll read this from iHeartTG as they say, Tozawa called this yet another old man Dreamgate sob story. He was promptly thus thrust kicked by Shima. Tozawa responded with a bicycle kick, and Mad Blanky attacked, which led to a save by Gamma, who just happened to be hanging around. He stripped Mondai Ryo of his mask, 
Susumu, who had been seconding Kness along with Horiguchi, Saito, and Kanda, followed up with a Jumbo Nokachi. Susumu asked Tozawa what was so bad about a couple of old men crying. Crying was good. Shima took exception to all of this and named Tozawa as his next challenger. He also asked Kness and Susumu to alley up with him to fight Mad Blinky next month. I mean, we really should look towards Dragon Gate about redefining masculinity <laughs> in a lot of ways. I mean, it is sometimes nice to have a good cry. You know, it's it's one of those things. And if old men got to cry, old men got to cry. Don't shame them, Akira. Come on. The last note that we have from Dragon Gate, and this takes place a little bit after our week. This note comes from April 11th, 2013. But I will read the post on the iHeartDG website it says, trainee Yuta Tanaka was scheduled to debut tonight in Nagoya. Eita and Tomahawk got wind of this and decided to invite him to come to Mexico to debut. Their reasoning is that a Mexico debut will be a better start to a career than a match with Mondai Ryu. They didn't expect a response, but Eita claims that Tanaka did indeed show up in Mexico earlier this week. He will be competing alongside Eita and Tomahawk from now on. They will train him daily in preparation for his new debut match. He apologized to Nagoya fans who are looking forward to the match tonight, but promised them that Tanaka would make a bigger impact upon his return to Japan. Mike, who is Yuta Tanaka? Well, it's Yuta, of course. Of course. Nagoya native. He would not debut in front of his hometown fans against Mondai Ryu because his senpai said, come to Mexico instead. <laughs> the old, like one of the, the, the first guy to kind of do that since the Torimon classes, since Ultimo Dragon Gym. Like, it's a remarkable way of happening. It was such like a wild thing happening at the time of being like, oh yeah, we're having this new debut, this new debut uh, to come out in their hometown, have their first match, and then, no, a Ada and T-Hawk whisked him away to Mexico, and he would not debut until the Millennial Landing later that summer. Yes, August 30th, 2013, save the date, a, a very important day in the history of Dragon Gate. Well, Mike, that is everything going on in Japan and Mexico at this time. Let's shift our focus to North America. We have a, a, a couple of newswire notes, but before that, this show took place on the same day as WrestleMania 29. I've enjoyed for everyone in the Mania shows going through the Mania cards just because I think it's important to contextualize what was going on in the wrestling world. And this WrestleMania, WrestleMania 29, Secaucus, New Jersey, or was it uh, was it Secaucus, New Jersey, or was it somewhere else? East Rutherford. Uh, East Rutherford, of, yeah. Of course, East Rutherford, New Jersey. How could I forget a show that housed the matches such as The Miz defeating Wade Barrett for the IC title, The Shield defeating The Big Show, Randy Orton and Sheamus, Mark Henry defeating Ryback, Team Hell No, they went over on Big E Langston and Dolph Ziggler. Fandango defeated Chris Jericho. Alberto Del Rio, my least favorite wrestler of all time, defeated Jack Swagger. The Undertaker went over on CM Punk and what I think is a brilliant professional wrestling match. Triple H then defeated Brock Lesnar. And John Cena defeated The Rock and Rock versus Cena too. Mike, your memories of this show. Well, like, it's an interesting show. If anything, because it's like the last WrestleMania to be done at uh, on pay-per-view before the network. The network would launch before WrestleMania 30. So it's remarkable in that regard. It had over a million buys, which is re which is something that like it's kind of insane to think about like how much they shot themselves in the foot with the network. I mean, that's better 
a topic for Brandon Thurston on WrestleNomics, <laughs> but it's something wor- worth like considering about this. Like this was like the end of that era, and I do really feel like that this was like the end of that era. Uh, the Rock tore a lot of muscles in that match, which was a big deal because he was about to film Hercules, which that was a movie that happened that they were real mad about that, and he stopped wrestling for a while because of that. And then, you know, I mean, the the big things from the show, this is CM Punk's last WrestleMania to date, and then Fandango defeating Chris Jericho, which is such an insane thing to think about in 2020, but Fandango was crazy over, and this was, like, the time where they were really getting behind Fandango. Like, those are my like, big takeaways in that Triple H versus Brock Lesnar match sucked. It was terrible. Yeah, I sent this take to Mike earlier this week because I I wasn't sure if I was off base in saying this, but Mike kind of backed it up that I think this is the last traditional WrestleMania in the sense that this feels like the biggest show in the calendar year, whereas the current WrestleMania feels like this extravaganza off in its own universe. This was nine matches with one of them being a dark match, so really an eight-match show Uh, None of them going longer than 25 minutes. And, you know, most of this show was bad, but Undertaker versus CM Punk is, I think, probably the greatest individual carry job I've ever seen by CM Punk. And it kind of made this entire show worth it. That that match was worth uh, the pay-per-view buy. And you had In Living Color playing them out. Oh, that's right. Yeah, that's a good point. It's something that, like... WrestleMania 30 has like the memory, of course, of uh, Brian Danielson winning the titles at that show and like that becoming like a big thing. And of course, like the network and all of that. But it's entirely a different kind of setup to the promotion at that point, because then they're all in on the network. Everything kind of changes. And you I, I feel like that this WrestleMania in a lot of ways was the end of that era. And then if you look at Lisa among listenership and the people that are at least a part of our wrestling fandom on the internet i mean quickly it would go from wrestlemania being the big weekend to wrestle kingdom being the big show so it's kind of remarkable in that regard that's a good point and i also am just we'll talk about wrestlemania 30 next year i have uh, i think a very differing opinion of that show than most people but alas we are now at the drangate usa portion of the show the newswire notes that i have march 18th Dragon USA, WWN Live, Newswire, Gabe Sapolsky unveils the Ladders Are Legal High Flyers Fray, which he says could be the most insane match of WrestleMania weekend, followed by three exclamation marks. He says the participants are Matt Jackson and Nick Jackson, AR Fox, Samurai Del Sol, Uha Nation, Christina Von Eri, and Facade. The rules are simple, Gabe says. It starts with two competitors, another enters every two minutes. Eliminations can take place at any time in the match by pinfall, submission, or DQ. Once everyone enters the match, ladders will be legal. And it goes on until only one person is left standing. Gabe says we have more background on this unique match. Drangate USA presented a high flyers free at Revolt in 2011. The result was a spectacular contest. Now Drangate USA wants to top it. DG USA has gathered the most amazing high flyers possible for WrestleCon. Christina Von Eri asked for an opportunity to wrestle men and will receive it here. I guess her opportunity is wrestling six other men. Then to up the ante and to give the participants more aerial options, several ladders will be supplied for the final segment of the match. You know, as we've learned through the series case, as 
we after this episode, we will only have eight more Dragon Gate USA shows to talk about. There's nothing more dangerous in Gabe's and Gabe speak than he when he says the rules are simple. <laughs> I was I I was disappointed that the rules for this are dumb, but they're not so dumb they're fun like the stable shootout this and it pertains to the match as well this is just a dumb match but we'll talk about it when we cross that bridge the other newswire note that i have is from april 2nd where gabe says in a small surprise shingo versus akira tozawa has been selected as the main event on this sunday's mercury rising 2013 event the japan office made this request due to the fact that shingo versus tozawa is the only pure dragon gate match of the weekend the usa office agreed also feeling like it could be the very best match of the weekend the annual six-man tradition match with uh, Shima's team versus Gargano's team will go on as the semi-main event. I should also note this uh, that Gabe says this Sunday's Dragon Gate USA event is expected to be around two and a half hours. It starts at 1 p.m. Eastern. This gives fans plenty of time to tailgate and get ready for WrestleMania that night. Mike, do you make anything of supposedly the Japanese office requesting Shingo versus Tozawa goes on last? I mean, I think that it, it makes sense on the surface. And then we're like looking at the rest of the show and how it played out. This was a show that needed that match to get the time. <laughs> like imagine if this, if we had this show, but then we had the six man tag being main event at the same time it had, but then you move Shingo and Tozawa down the card. What are you going to give that time to, to be honest? Like it, it just makes layout sense. And to be honest, when you look at the rest of this card, this really was a two match show. So it made sense, and I'm glad that this got the main event there, though we'll get into the show itself and about how a main event like this doesn't necessarily salvage your weekend or salvage your show, but I, I, I don't think this is like a, a backhanded comment about, oh, your champion is someone who we don't like in Johnny Gargano. I think it just you know makes sense having the, uh, the Trueborn versus Trueborn main event and you know layout-wise, and for the show's sake, I feel like that was the right move. There are a lot of business implications that we find out came out of this weekend, but I I think those are more relevant actually for next WrestleMania weekend. So the final shows we do, we will talk more about the business impact that Dragon Gate USA had on this weekend because it kind of directly affects the next WrestleMania weekend. But for now, Mike, you said it's a two-match show. Let's talk about that two-match show. Yeah, let's get into it. So as I said at the top, this is Mercury Rising 2013 from April 7th, 2013 at the Maryland's Expo Center in Secaucus, New Jersey. Because this is such a short time frame show, and, and I completely forgot that note about it being when it happened. Like the fact that it was like, oh yeah, we'll make sure you'll get out of the way out of WrestleMania. It was a two and a half hour show, like two hours and change. Two and a half hours and change. And we started off with, with Soldier Ant going up against Anthony Nice. Is Soldier Ant with Fire Ant versus Anthony Nice with someone that we soon learn will be called Mr. A. It was Anthony Nice defeating Soldier Ant in six minutes with a 450 splash. Mr. Fucking A. Welcome to the promotion, my friend. I'm glad you're here. <laughs> I have to say, I, look, this is a it's a three-star opener, perfectly fine contest. I think well, I'll say this. Tony Nese comes across great this weekend. He comes across like a big star. His Fosbury flop kind of weird dive that he does got a great reaction here. But I want to focus my time on Soldier Ant, a.k.a. Drew Gulak, who I said a few episodes ago, 
I, Mike did not like him in the promotion. I loved him in the six-man tag that he wrestled in as Drew Gulak, and I maintain after watching this that the promotion would have been so much more interesting with Gulak in it. I just don't think the two of them had very good chemistry, uh, Soldier Ant and uh, Nice. Like, this was a Nice highlight show, and the Fosbury flop is insane. I only went two and a half stars on it just because it, it, there was a level of awkwardness that if this is going to be a match that six minutes are going to highlight Anthony Nice, then you better hope that the chemistry with the guy who's going to be taking the six minutes is going to work because I did not necessarily think it worked as well as it should have. I did not notice any of their chemistry issues, but I also think Nice is in a weird spot where he's not big in terms of height, but he's taller than most, and he's kind of this power junior. So, you know, to to make the bold comparison and say, well, does Nice need to be in there with a Claudio type or like someone smaller than him and I and I don't really know what the answer to that is and they kind of went with Gulak who was uh, much skinnier less muscular than him but roughly around the same size and I, and I, I I'm not going to say I loved their chemistry but I did not feel like they had any chemistry issues here it just was like little things that wasn't as smooth as I thought it would be that I, that they mark up as that so I might be entirely wrong and I have not watched a lot of 2020 uh, 205 Live or SmackDown to see if I'm right about this, but it just did not seem like it, it didn't necessarily work. However, one person who did work, that's Mr. A, baby. There we go. Oh my god, I am I completely forgot he existed, and I'm so glad that we have a full year of Mr. A standing supposedly menacing in the background of a lot of shots. It rocks. It rocks. Uh, uh, in the post-match, uh, Tony said that Mr. A is the director <laughs> of the Premier Image Brand Imaging. I'm so glad you wrote this down, too. Oh, you know I was going to write this down because this rocks. I, I have to say, I like that they like they identified this is what this guy does. Because too often in wrestling, big guys just show up with like, oh, he's the bodyguard or he's my, uh, he's my muscle. No, Mr. A does imaging, you idiot. Okay, he has a job. <laughs> it's so good it's so good and then he chokeslams fire ant and gives him a big top rope splash mr a like like, like this is something that we are not going to be doing an evolve podcast we've seen how that's gone on the network but mr a early on and drag and like the post dragon gate usa thing with the premier athlete brand let's go i'm stoked about this i love that he has a job i think that is so <laughs> funny and i can't believe i didn't know about this prior to do it, watching this episode or watching this show this week <laughs> it just pops you because you're just like oh yeah no of course he is why wouldn't he be it's like, like one of those weird get, things where like i don't i don't know what gabe's desired reaction was when they said that he did imaging but i unironically love that like oh yeah that's what he does that's why he and tony niece are friends it makes sense and it's the idea that like this guy who easily is about 350 pounds and like not tall not much taller than than anthony niece was his image consultant dressed up like mr hughes his <laughs> his, uh, his suspenders break during the splash like that's the guy i want in charge of my imaging there we go it was awesome this i like i i am a little bit higher on this than you and it it I, I'm mad at myself for really praising 2012 or 2013 Drew Gulak, but I think he should have been used more in this promotion. I, I mean, pe 
Mr. Ace got squash people. He's got smash <laughs> exactly. people. Exactly, and, and I like the fact that he was squashing ants on this show. I, I, I mean, coming off the top rope of a splash, maybe not something I would be squashing an ant by, but, you know, it's effective. You know, I mean, Fire Ant was certainly squashed there, and, you know... Uh, that that was a two and a half star match, but a five star segment afterwards. I I completely agree, with the exception that it was a three star match. But I digress. Yeah. Then we have the scene explode already, case as it is Scott Reed with Larry Dallas and Trina Michaels defeating Caleb Conley in nine minutes on the dot. A lot of guys hitting their time cues. I I did not when I was like looking at the cage match thing as I was watching this. I didn't realize the whole oh we're doing this in two and a half hours, but. Good on, good on everyone involved. They hit six minutes and nine minutes on the dot according to cage match. It is Scott Reed won this match after Larry Dallas had a distraction, which allowed a Scott Reed chair shot and then a smash mouth onto the chair. Mike, what do you think about the fact that after they blew up the scene at Open the Ultimate Gate, they are wrestling one-on-one the next night? I mean... The scene was just like so kind of just existing in Dragon Gate USA and the act itself, other than how much uh, it disgusted uh, Alan Farrell and I in Miami. <laughs> and me, the act and it, me. I didn't love it, yeah. okay? <laughs> so uh, it it kind of just was like a thing that had a didn't have much of a purpose and it did seem that like Scott Reed had that tour in Dragon Gate, so it did seem like at least... There was some attention being paid to this act, but, you know, I guess have them blow it off in, like, 15 minutes combined? Like, okay. Like, it's one of those things that, like, the scene existed in Dragon Gate USA about as long as I expected, and it just, you know, like, it's what it was, I guess. Like, it's very hard for me to get up in arms about it. I do have to say, I thought that, at least for, like, the first part of it, Caleb Conley was a really good babyface fire trying to attack people who wronged him. I thought that was pretty solid. So here's what I'll say about this, and there's there's two points to make. One, this is the blow-off of the scene feud, but I talked to Larry Dallas today, and I asked him, I said, you know, I thought this was kind of weird you guys had the singles match on this show. Was there plans to do more? And Larry said, yeah, there was in the summer and fall of 2013, but Scott Reed quits wrestling after the summer double shot that Dragon USA has, so we never see the end of their feud. I think that matters because watching this match, watching Caleb Conley and Scott Reed wrestle each other, it became very clear to me that the worst thing that could have ever happened for these two guys was for them to team for a year and a half because they're a fine tag team. They never really had a great match. I thought their chemistry was outstanding in this match. I recognize, I just from the tone of your voice, I'm much higher on this match than you were, but this was like like a super fun WCW Saturday night match where I'm probably overrating it, but I had so much fun watching this that I went three and a half on this. You see, I totally understand your mindset there, but does that kind of match? I I guess like your opinion of this, like this felt like, okay, we're blowing this off here. And I did not know that both of them were still in the promotion this summer. This felt like, oh yeah, we're done with them. This is it. Bye-bye. And it felt really awkward on a show that needed some firepower. I was two and a, I was two and a quarter. Like, I did like parts of it. It just was one of those things that the crowd wasn't reacting. And it's not 
anything I would say against people who are involved in this. It's just something that just like you had this act that existed for a year and a half. They were at most a mid card kind of act. Like their biggest match probably was Heat 2012 against Shima Mochizuki, probably in the promotion. Yes. And then they just kind of unceremoniously end. Like it's. It, it, it's not a value judgment, I would say, at the wrestlers other than the wrestlers in like a nine-minute match that ultimately, in my opinion, didn't mean a whole lot. They just kind of out the, went out there and had a match, in my opinion. I think this is probably the greatest star rating discrepancy we've had, or I'm a, a, a star and a quarter higher on this than you were, but... This is the Caleb Conley that I was waiting for, and it's funny because he ends up turning heel, I think, by the end of the year, and if not, then the first show of 2014, but I knew Conley was talented, and I, I he's someone that I really like in wrestling, and by the end of this promotion, like, I remember in 2014 going, like, in, in March of 2014, not knowing Dragon USA was about to die, I was like, well, they're clearly going to build around Caleb Conley as one of their guys in, in 2014 and 2015, and it was here that I was like, oh, that's right, like, he really was good, and it just so happens that I think he and Reed just did not have chemistry as a tag team, but I would have really liked to have seen more singles matches with these guys. Yeah, I would like to see this match have a build and have, like, given time and, like, have, like, the apparatus there that the crowd can get invested in it because that, that's why I feel like it is. The issue of this well, is not... Well, here here's the counter to that. The scene was never really over, and I think had they done angle, 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 a multi-man match, and then a singles match, I think people would have dreaded this match, but instead they kind of ripped the band-aid off, and as a result, it ended up being super entertaining, in my opinion. Yeah, and this isn't like a disparity where like I think you're out to lunch here. I just don't think there was a reason for people to be invested in it. And maybe it is that like the lack of investment lets you to kind of place yourself outside of it and be like, okay, this is a fun WCW Sunday, Saturday night match. Cause the highlight of this match really was Caleb Conley as a baby face. Like he had like some really hot baby face fire starting off the match and then just kind of turned into kind of scene stuff and the crowd didn't care. But I, I totally understand you kind of like having that mindset about this. Yeah. Even the post-match stuff with Marty bell coming out and, and beating down Larry Dallas. I, 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 I would have liked to have seen what would have happened next in the feud, but if you want to put a bow on the scene here, they're an act that never truly did anything great. I think they were they were a good team at times. They were a fine team. They they really, other than the Shima and Mochizuki match, they were never really given a chance to truly get over. And the Shima and Mochizuki match happened on a non-iPay-per-view show, so really it was kind of one step forward, two steps back. But... All in all, I don't hate this as the ending for the scene. Okay, no, I understand that. I do. It's just, you know, we somehow we would have to get Gabe Sapolsky to open up his uh, DG Book of Secrets oh, and find God. out what I, was I would, the initial plan. I would plan. empty the savings account for that. Oh, me, me, you, and Gabe sitting down after we get our COVID vaccines, opening up the notebook with his Metallica sticker on it. 
oh, I would do anything for but, that. N- you think? I, I mean, it'd be a neurosis sticker. I, I couldn't think of know? a band's name. What? Uh, God, I Gabe, you seem like a good enough dude. I'd love to sit down and talk with you. I hate neurosis. You are not welcome on my music podcast to talk about neurosis. <laughs> <laughs> I, if I ever come back on onto Case's podcast, I will not be talking about the sludge metal bands I oh, love. What a did fucking you, just, shitty band! Like, because there was pro like. I don't know if I've talked about it on the show. We'll probably talk about it on the last episode. Like how influenced I was by Gabe Sapolsky, just in terms of my wrestling viewing for the longest time. There was a point in time where I had in my mind, like sophomore year of high school, I was like, well, I'd, I just want to be the next Gabe Sapolsky. Like that's really what I want to do with my life. So obviously at one point I was like, well, Gabe likes Neurosis. I'll check this out. And oh God, I can't do it. What an awful band. That, that is not my entry point I'd give to anyone to sludge or stoner metal. So, I'm sorry that that was your entry into that. No, Mike, you can keep uh, your would, stoner metal. I'll keep my straight-edge hardcore bands. I, I I mean, there's a lot to like about Sleeping High on Fire. That's all I'll say about this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will not make you listen to Dope Smoker for my second appearance, but it, 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 it's got value. It's got value. But anyways, back to <laughs> Mercury Rising. That, that, that gives you the statement on, about how I feel at the show, how much I want to talk more about stoner metal than I do about the show itself. Uh, the next match, uh, Super Smash Brothers, uh, player Dose and player Uno defeat the DUF of Eric Cannon and Sammy Callahan. Eight minutes and 32 seconds with a frog splash onto Sammy Callahan. And I really like this match case. I went three and a quarter on it. I thought that it had like a nice, fierce spot uh, start to it. And then it had like a had it had some life to it that I felt like the first two matches didn't have. And that's even considering the fact that the finish was supposed to be the fatality on Sammy Callahan. Uh, Uno wasn't able to keep Callahan up long enough for Dose to come off the top rope with the blockbuster for it, and they transitioned into a frog splash. I ended up for like a nine-minute match. I thought that this was pretty fun. I went, I went three and a quarter. So we are on different pages here as well because I was not into this at all. I went two and a half on it because I couldn't get past the miscommunication. I thought for whatever reason Callahan in particular, who had a rough weekend— uh, just had really bad chemistry with the Super Smash Brothers here. This was not a match that I was particularly fond of at all, and a bummer considering that this is the final DUF match in the history of Dragon Gate USA. This is the final time we'll talk about Sammy Callahan on this show. So, Mike, I have to ask you, I, I think one of the things kind of hanging over our heads when we started this project was just the idea of the DUF, and we end up getting two full years of them. They form in earnest in Atlanta 2011, and they carry us through Secaucus, New Jersey 2013 as a whole. What were your thoughts on the DUF? A lot of highs and a lot of lows. Yeah. I, I, I do think that when we talk, when we do our big wrap-up at the end, my memory of living through it probably colored my opinion of the act a whole lot but the highs on of duf were really high like ending the year and 2011 with duf like standing tall and be like okay this act feels a lot like a lot of fun but then it just completely just uh, you, you know the sabu feud just completely took the wind out of a lot of people's sails uh, this is also the last match of the super smash brothers as well yes i I, I so that's the other thing I was going to mention. Now, real quick on the DUF, and we'll we'll put a bow on this once we finish the series, but I like them. I think they, you know, they're dragged down by the Sabu feud, obviously, and then Cannon and Pinky Sanchez have a really rough weekend 
in the summer of 2012 when Callahan isn't there. But I I leave with positive memories of the DUF. They're a team I really enjoyed. As for the Super Smash Brothers, Mike, this is the last match they wrestle in America until July 13th, 2019 at AEW's Fight for the Fallen. It is a six-year gap the next time they are seen in America, and I think this is important to note, obviously just for the historical purposes of it, but also, they go 2-1 and one this weekend, they beat the Young Bucks, they beat the DUF, and they have a competitive showing against Ata and Tomahawk TT. If I were a betting man, and the Smash Brothers were allowed in America in the summer of 2013, my guess is we would have seen a Young Bucks versus Super Smash Brothers uh, title match on one of those shows because Gabe put them over really strong here, but they disappear, which is not their fault, nor is it Gabe's fault. And I think it, uh, it kind of is Gabe's <laughs> fault. Uh, well, yeah, I guess. You, you know what? Fair point. <laughs> uh, but was Gabe, I mean, he's never paid for Canadian visas, has he? I mean, the only one that I've heard of that the person demanded it was Ethan Page. And, okay, that was who I was. I wasn't sure if Gabe had, had done that or not. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's an unfortunate situation that luckily is rectified now. But I would I would guess to say this really screwed up Gabe's booking plans for the rest of 2013. Oh, I think it really did. And I think that when you look at, at the United Gate, you probably have a argument to be made that they probably would have been the next United Gate champions. Yes, I am not sure the Bravado brothers come in if the Super Smash Brothers are still available. Now, I don't know that for sure. We're just about to hit the Bravados portion of Dragon Gate USA. They do have one of my favorite moments in the promotion's history that I am really excited to rewatch when we get to it, but I'm not sure they are inserted into the program with the Young Bucks if we still have Uno and Dos around. Yeah, and then you have the whole idea. I've recently read the Young Bucks book. They don't spend a whole lot of time on DGUSA, other than thanking Gabe for the opportunity and talking about the match that we talked about last week, last week, the uh, United Gate match where they beat Air, Fox, and Shima. So not a whole lot about that, especially about them leaving the promotion and then solely going Ring of Honor and New Japan. But y- y- you would think that if that all played out, it would have been Super Smash Brothers taking the titles, I would think. I think that's a fair assumption to make. And then we went right into another match. The one thing about this, the show being two hours and 30 minutes, not a lot of just talking, really, other than like two major points. This is a singles match. It is Brian Kendrick versus Chuck Taylor. Brian Kendrick defeats Chuck Taylor in 13 minutes and 10 seconds. And, okay, so I want you to go first because I, I, I hope we're not divergent here, but I have a feeling we might be. I don't, this match was fine. I, I I don't know. It's like Kendrick wasn't bad, but he wasn't really good. And Taylor wasn't doing comedy, but he wasn't really motivated. I'm looking at my notes now. I don't even have a star rating for this. I have, in all caps, the word FINE. It just existed. I went one and a half stars. I hated this. Wow, yeah. I, <laughs> I guess, like, you could go one and a half here and the Segunda Keda guys could go three and three quarters, and I'd be like, yeah, I understand both arguments. Yeah, I just never... I, I think Brian Kendrick is one of the most disappointing people in this promotion, other than the Johnny Gargano angle, to be honest. 
and it just is like you have all of this happen and then you have all the members of the gentlemen's club you have the fact that drew gulak's on commentary at this point and it just is just going on forever like everything else in the first half i mean you had six minutes nine minutes eight minutes and this got 13 minutes and just like nothing really happened and this felt like almost in a way like the first ever wrestle circus match mm. and mm. that is a yeah. really good comp and, and it's just like i think like and we're getting to a point now where like the, the wrap-up where we were like okay this is something far off in the future now it's like really coming upon us i'm gonna have a lot of things to say about brian kendrick and dragon gate usa because let's look at what chuck taylor's last year was in dragon gate usa case and it's just impossible for me to be enthused about this because you take chuck taylor who is someone who is in the big angle at wrestlemania 2012 and now he's pre-intermission jobbing to brian kendrick with uh with the gentleman's club which is an act that you know i i think is a very amusing act it's an act that i don't think gabe ever really knew what to deal with and the way they didn't know how to do this is have brian kendrick cut that promo on him the night before and then beat him in the longest 13 minute match that i've seen in a long time i just ugh, hated it i just think brian kendrick is a guy who was always in the wrong place at the wrong time and if he was six inches taller he would have been perfect in the territories if he was his height in 1997 he would have been perfect for for purple logo ecw it's just a shame the reality was that we got him in Drangate usa instead yeah and, and, and like the the ecw comp is so apt because given how much, in a lot of ways, Gabe is re-arbitrating uh, <laughs> ECW in a lot of ways. And I think that's a lot of the negative things about this promotion. And yeah, he absolutely would have been like the big... He would have been a star in 97 in, in the ECW arena. But here in this promotion, does not work for me whatsoever. No, and that's very fair. Then we get into some wacky shit. It is the ladders are legal, seven-way fray. Case mentioned all the participants during the news wires, but it was... Uha Nation winning the match. The other participants are A.R. Fox, Christina Von Eri, Facade, Matt Jackson, Nick Jackson, Samurai Del Sol in 23 minutes and 38 seconds. The falls were Nick Jackson eliminates Von Eri after repeated super kicks in seven minutes. Then we had A.R. Fox defeating uh, Samurai Del Sol with a low main pain in 12 minutes and 30 seconds. Then A.R. Fox defeats Facade with a Meteora from a ladder. And then we had Nick Jackson eliminating Air Fox. The Ricochet ran in and gave Air Fox a 630 when he was laid prone on the ladder. And then we had Uha Nation eliminating the Bucks in short order when Uha eliminated uh, Matt Jackson after a roll up and then did the Uha combination on Nick Jackson. And this is like a match that's forgotten about, like the fact that Gabe did this match, but what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> it's not even it's not bad it's like just an, no that's the thing this match needed to be so much worse like I'm almost I'm at three and a half with it because I really like the back half of this match but I this I wish this match was a star in a corner because it would have been so much more fun to talk about but but instead we have like what is kind of a really well booked seven person ladders are legal fray match? Like there was some good storytelling in this match, and I'm really disappointed by it. Yeah, no, like this is a match that, like, this is really the most wrestle circle circus ass show that Gabe ever has put on. Just because, just like, what is going on here? Yeah, we have some people that, yeah, we're gonna make ladders legal in this match, and you come out every two minutes, but you can't use ladders until all seven minute people 
seven people are in here and it starts off with like matt jackson immediately giving the match the the lack of respect that it deserves yeah it's <laughs> like, he's soul like, and fox trading strikes matt jackson comes in and belly flops in the middle of the ring <laughs> just tremendous stuff uh drew gulak who was on commentary at this point brought up the idea that Christina Von Erie's mohawk is an aerodynamic benefit, <laughs> which great line, all time great line. And then it just kind of just gets into like a bunch of spots. I did not rate this match. It's just one of those matches. I'm like, this match happened. I don't know other than like, this is just what the fuck. Like, like I can't rate this match. Uh, the ladder breaks on facade, which is tremendous. <laughs> like just like a wild, just, uh, this is just like an insane, just like nuts thing like the bucks do some really cool stuff here like reversing air foxes cannonball into a drop kick which was wild and then like really i would say like when it got down to uh air fox and uha nation and the young bucks this was really a whole lot of fun like that last like eight minutes of this match was a blast you just was getting there you're just going like all right gabe why are we doing this and i still don't know why this match happened other than uha nation probably had a win because he was being booked in japan at that time so there's there's a few different ways of tackling this match. I think it's important to note that we, we mentioned during Heat that Dave wrote in The Observer that Del Sol and A.R. Fox were scheduled for a long program in 2013, and we get implications that that was going to be the case. It just so happens that this is Samurai Del Sol's final show as well. Now, we'll talk more about Del Sol on the next set of shows because he works a final a set of Evolve shows before signing, whereas Callahan is done after this show. But we get Del Sol and Fox, and I think they're super entertaining. The Christina Von Eri thing is, it was weird at the time. It's super weird in hindsight because it's, you can't even point to like, oh, well, intergender wrestling was getting a lot of buzz at this time because the intergender wrestling scene really took off in 2014 you would have had Sarah Del Rey and Chikara, but in 2013, it's not really a thing yet. And it makes Christina Von Eri's appearance in this match even weirder on top of the fact that, man, I just, she looks so out of place in this match. Her offense was just uncomfortably weak. I mean, it looked really, really bad. But once you get her out of the picture, I mean, Fasan did what he was supposed to do, which is he literally almost died on that ladder spot where he he tried to jump onto the backside of a ladder and it buckled and he got his leg caught in the ladder. It was absolutely disgusting. And then you have what is kind of like a like a four-way match with the Young Bucks and AR Fox and Uha Nation at the end of this, and that is that is excellent. So it's a match with a lot of good and a lot of bad. I was really struggling giving the the names on this card and trying not to change any of the marquee matchups what they could have done instead because it would have probably been a six-man tag and I'm assuming we would have had the Young Bucks and Samurai Del Sol versus some combination of Uha Nation, AR Fox, and a third person. But I, if you don't want to use Von Eri or Fursad, if you want to use a... a is somewhat regular or even just like a cool special appearance, which unfortunately facade is not. I don't know who that sixth man becomes, but I would like to know what this match could have been, which is a, a, a six man tag with the bucks and probably Del Sol against Uha Fox and a sixth person. I would like to know what that option uh, might have been. 
you know who I thought you're proposing this to me. You know who I would have paid for the plane ticket and brought over? Who's that? Dragon Kid. Oh, I, 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 that's very good. I also am just confused. I, well, I, I, maybe there are political implications, but Juice and Thunder Liger was in the building. You, you would think at least Gabe. I, I don't know if he made him an offer or not, but you would at least hope that he did. Yeah, I, I mean, Juice and Thunder Liger is the uh, political implications. Be damned. You put them in that match, and really, I mean, at at that time, of course, Juice and Thunder Liger isn't going to be breaking out shooters or anything like that, but. He he would have been like the person like oh yeah Jusha then Alarga and then you had all the fact that the Young Bucks are in New Japan by the end of this year so like there's a way that could have worked in that well but, but the, I mean, the Bucks are not in New Japan at this point and also it's Liger who does no. his own deal and also was a former Dreamgate champion like Liger was cool with Dragon Gate so it seems and you could have done. Del Sol scoring off with Liger, and I know Linny would have sold that really well. Uh, Liger is the best case scenario, so it's probably a waste of time to discuss him, but it seems like we missed out on a really cool either six-man tag, or honestly, if Samurai Del Sol is going to be on this show, you could have just done the Bucks versus Uhan Fox, and then... Maybe Del Sol versus John Davis, which was scheduled for the night before, but Del Sol got hurt. I, look, sorry to Orange Cassidy on missing out on this booking, but maybe just move the card around a little bit and give us Uhan Fox versus the Bucks and Del Sol versus John Davis. Because this match, as it stands, again, it's like too good for what it was. I kind of wish this match was worse, but instead it was like, well, there's a ladder here and there are some spots and there's weirdly good booking interspliced throughout this match. It's just a bizarre thing. And it's such a, an abrupt thing as well, because as you're going through like the newswire, this is a match that came, came together relatively late. Like no one's going to go to the show to go see a ladders are legal seven way fray. Like, no, no. And I, I, that's the thing. This match was like, Oh, Gabe realized he's got all these guys and he doesn't know what match to put them in. And so we ended up with a seven-way ladders are legal fray match, and it seems like there should have been a better option. Yeah, yeah, it's just such a. I, I, I again, Gabe's book of secrets. I would love to know what the original plan was because if this was the original plan, then I'm sorry, Gabe. Like you booked this card wrong <laughs> because this is <laughs> such a bizarre thing and just out of place and not bad, but not great. And had some thought to it, but in a lot of ways did not have any thought in it whatsoever. It's just, this might be the most befuddling match of the series, to be honest. Yeah, because there's a gimmick match coming up that I will defend. I really like it, but this one, I don't know, it just kind of exists. It really, really does. And talking about existing case, next up, Orange Cassie versus John Davis. Orange Cassie wins by disqualification in four minutes. Like, yeah, why did this match even happen? Like God, John Davis, I, he deserved better. I mean, this, he just, he needed to not be on this show. There was no reason for John Davis to be on this show because this did nothing but hurt him in the long run. I mean, there was nothing for John Davis to do after losing that no ropes match. He should have gone. He should have left or, the promotion or at, at the very least, least for a because while. I, I understand that they wanted to do Davis versus the Gentleman's Club, and there is a match on the next set of Evolve shows in Florida, a legitimately great bunkhouse-style brawl between secretly good at Plunder Chuck Taylor and John Davis. 
so there's there, like there's even another great John Davis match around the corner, but he really I I I just think he would have been so much better off had he not wrestled on Heat, had he not wrestled on these shows, and had he shown up at Evolve. And it's funny because a year ago I was saying the biggest mistake was not giving John Davis a marquee match at the Miami WrestleMania weekend shows. Now I'm saying he needed to not be on these shows at all. Yeah, it's just really perplexing. So I had two notes for this match. First off, Stallgate. They spent like the first minute and a half of this match not doing anything. And then they started doing things. And then John Davis got frustrated and clotheslined the referee for the DQ. Like, that's why I'd be like, this match did not need to happen. This match really shouldn't. And then, and then Gulak got into the ring, eats a buckle bomb. Chuck Taylor gets lariated. Swamp Monster only, almost gets unmasked during three seconds around the world. So he lays out all of the gentleman's club. It's just perplexing. This is just a bizarre, maybe one of the weirder things, like outside of the stable shootout that this that this promotion has put on. Like, and that's why, like, I have like such like a a weird feeling about the show because there's some stuff that we're going to get into in the main event, in the main event that I absolutely love. But everything leading up to this, this is one of the this is almost as bad as that one Mercury Rising show in Phoenix. Yeah, it's. I I think maybe my opinion of it is is a little bit higher just because I like Conley versus Reed so much and the openers. I'm a little bit higher on this than you. Like at this point, I haven't hated the show, but also really nothing outside of the absurdity of the ladders are legal match has grabbed my attention. And it's just bizarre to think that on a show where they knew they were in a time crunch, they booked this John Davis segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you could have given that time. Like if you give that four minutes to Caleb and Caleb and Conley and Scott Reed, make that like a thirteen minute match with some stakes and like raise it up there, I'm probably right along with you on that. It's just utterly bizarre. Like I have a lot of questions about this show, but what I don't have questions is about the next match case. Yeah, no, this is this is excellent stuff. This is the six man tradition continues match with Johnny Gargano, Rich Swan, and Ricochet defeating Shima. Ata and Tomahawk TT. Your thoughts on this match? Yeah, this rocked. Four and a half stars. This was like exceptional stuff. Like this is what this thing, what this promotion is built on. A, a match that f- would feel in place in Japan. A match where it starts off pretty slow. The crowd loved Tomahawk TT. By the way, they were chanting Mister PP, which is probably because PP like Charles Humor and Tanizaki. But then it's just like it really like started building up here. Ada and Johnny are gonna have such tremendous, tremendous, uh, just tremendous chemistry. And then the near falls, and then like just like ended in a truly exceptional manner. And I felt like that this rock, the the fall was Ricochet pinning uh, Ada with his six thirty splash, which lets him make any match he wanted to make. And I, I this is not one that. Th- absolute top tier wrestlemania weekend six-man tags but it's worthy of being one of them in my opinion it's pretty close i loved this match and and i should note mike and i didn't mention last week that at the end of the ata and tomahawk match against the super smash brothers ata and it's it's not on camera which is why we didn't mention it but ata goes to do his moonsault from the post to the floor and goes straight up and then hits his head on the way down on his moonsault. So his his forehead hit the top of the post, essentially. And you can see it on the DVD that the crowd reacts like something crazy had happened, but the camera never pans to it. 
I didn't realize that's what happened until I listened to a Dr. Keith present show with our friend Alan and then Joe Gagne and Mikey Falcone, where they reviewed everything from this weekend. And they mentioned just how ugly that Ata dive was. So he comes back in this match a night after almost splitting his head in half. And once again, arguably the star of this match. I mean, this is such a good weekend for Ata and Tomahawk TT. And it really... It opened my eyes to, and especially after mentioning UT at the top of the show, if Dragon Gate USA continues, we probably get a set of shows with T-Hawk, Ata, and either UT, or if Gabe was really feeling it, Flamita, and I think they would have been crazy over in Dragon Gate USA as the Millennials. Oh, absolutely so, and it probably would have made the dichotomy between Native fans and Western fans even more profound about the Millennials, yeah, because like... It's hard to impress, like, how great Ada has been in this, this whole run, which, like, I remember it being like, oh, yeah, Ada did solid stuff. Ada owns, like, Ada is the star of this match in my mind. Like, he, like, everyone else has, like, their big moments, and Jagger kind of plays with the fact that he's the incredibly insincere heel, but, like, Ada doing, like, his sudden moonsault to the floor is one of my favorite spots in this promotion's history. He's just incredible stuff. And then if you have, like, the whole Millennials thing out there, that would have been insanely over. I wish we lived in that timeline case. I think a lot of things would be a lot different if if millennials existed in Dragon Gate USA. Did you feel like Ata looked super skinny in this match? Oh no, no. He, he I, I mean, he looked super skinny his entire time in North America. Yeah, it really. It, once he hit the ring, I I like audibly was like, oh my god, look at him. Like he really looked thin at this point, but you're right. He is the star of this match. I think Rich Swan was excellent, and, and Swan is someone that just really never gets the opportunity to have those great, great matches, but man, he was so capable of having them if he would have been given the chance. And the other thing that I'll, I'll, I'll compliment this match on, and I, I went four and a half as well, is despite the intense effort that Shima went to bury this angle in the post-match, the Gargano versus Shima interactions on this show, Freedom Gate versus Dreamgate Champion interactions, I thought they felt really big, and I think the crowd was really into it. So this match works on a few different levels. The young guys look good, Swan and Ricochet did their thing, and Gargano and Shima, Shima had their moment where they looked really strong. So I'm at four and a half stars. I really, really like this match. Yeah, yeah. And let's talk about the post-match stuff because it's really interesting. So Ricochet puts the Freedom Gate title on on Johnny Gargano's shoulder and says, and Malice say goodbye to that as he walks away. So it's pretty clear that it's going to be Ricochet versus Johnny Gargano for the Freedom Gate going forward. But then Gargano gets Shima back on his feet and he gets him back in the ring. He talks about the six man being Shima's legacy. He talks about how Shima, in a way, is a mentor, and talks about how him and Shima are now at the same level. And then Shima grabs the microphone and goes, "Same level? Holy shit!" <laughs> just like an. It is just great. The best. It is the funniest line that is has such negative implications on the future of Dragon USA. But oh my god, it is worth <laughs> it because it is so fucking funny the way Shima says it. <laughs> It's the most Shima line possible. Oh, like, of course God, he's going completely. to say that. He gets himself over to such an insane degree and does long-term damage to the person he's cutting the promo on. It is Shima. Yeah, yeah, I mean, this is Shima. 
but uh then uh then he asks if they want to see double title shima's like double title double title and then by that time uh john davis knocks comes out knocks shima into johnny gargano uh, and then basically gargano backs down john davis like he he god it's so dumb yeah yeah like just staring at him like goes and go away and then and then immediately low blows shima rich swan tries to stop him but then gargano completely snaps attacks him and around ringside and then talks about enjoying the enjoying the show he grabs a strap and chokes out shima to conclude the angle so now there's like no like thing about this like jagger gano treated that like it was the end of the show promo in a way that it worked for him but then you have the fact that shima just completely cut him off the knees as shima's one to do yeah i hated the john davis aspect of this it was just another one of those things like why does this new why does this dude need to be out here he's not wrestling shima ever although that would i would have really liked to have seen that just on a number of levels but you know, John Davis comes out again, knocks down Shima, then Gargano and him. It's just like, what? what what's the point of the, the stare down? Like, I, it doesn't do anything for either guy. Now, luckily, the Gargano heel turn is great, and, and he kicks Shima low and then super kicks Swan, and I'm, I'm off to the races with this character. But it seems like there could have been a more effective way to do this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, but also that effective manner ca- case is going to rely on Shima playing ball with it. To be fair, and do we think that Shima would have played ball and not completely cut Giant Gargano at the knees by just four words? And that's the issue there is that it really could have been something, but given the personalities, it was never going to, you know? I'd really like to know what a John Davis versus Shima match would have looked like. I think that that, that is the yeah, definition of, of high ceiling, low floor. That could really go a number of different ways. Well, I mean, there's a couple questions we, we would have to ask about this match, you know. First and foremost, does Shima actually value John Davis and believe in him as a wrestler? Is he a respected striker like Loki? <laughs> yes, yes, yeah, yes. I mean, you, you, you notice that, that Loki, Shima never said anything or stepped out about Loki, you know. Oh, God, what, what I would have done just for the headache that it would have caused Gabe if we would have gotten that Loki versus Shima match, oh god! Which, just looking at the booking, where you had Yoshino and Ricochet as the tag team champions leaving Miami, and you have Loki cut a promo on Shima, building to their match. That Chicago show in 2012, that main event is probably Yoshino and Ricochet, I guess, versus somebody who cares. But then probably Loki versus Shima on that show had everybody played ball. I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, it's just real. I, I mean, it, it's real remarkable what it could have been. Like, and, and these are the things that we're going to have to like somehow get uh, Gabe to bring out the thing. We're all going to get our vaccines, and we're going to ask about what were your plans for you, Loki? Uh, did how was it feeling like that Shima? just completely freelance on all this promos and killed Gargano on his big heel turn weekend. And just like, um, so what about super smash brothers? Those are three big questions I would have. I, I think that the Shima thing, it, that was a line. If it makes sense that it, it got Shima over more than it buried Gargano. I think we can look at it now knowing the promotion dies in a year and we go, Oh man, that's no good. 
I didn't sense from the crowd, though, that they were like, oh, that's right, Gargano, this loser. I think it, it just, it existed for what it was, and it's something that I wouldn't have wanted Shima to say, but I don't think of it as this major uh, booking faux pas. No, it wasn't a faux pas, it's just that we know what Shima meant by saying yes, that. Yes, absolutely. But he's not wrong. No, he's not wrong at all. And it, considering the fact that they would not want to have that champion main eventing their big WrestleMania show, wanted to go with uh, two natives, you know, maybe maybe when you say Japanese office, Shima said, no, no, uh, Shingo and Tozawa, that's the main event. Yeah. Maybe that's what happened. Well, in that main event, pretty spectacular. Yeah, so Shingo Takagi defeats Akira Tozawa with a pumping bomber in 20 minutes and 8 seconds in case. I, you just said it was spectacular. Uh, take me through this match. What was the thing that really kind of called out to you about this? You know what I liked about this was that it was probably the low end of Shingo versus Tozawa matches we've seen. It's like, I know they've had much better matches than this, but it's Shingo versus Tozawa, and they kind of work this like a touring match, uh, more so touring than a house show match, because they're, they're, they're working hard. It's just Shima, or not not Shima, but Shingo and Tozawa just doing what they're good at, and that's really, really good. Yeah, like the thing that like screamed out to me is the chemistry that these two guys had let them have a match like that in a promotion that desperately at this time needs anything to draw people in, and then like these guys are like, yeah, no, we'll go out there and have a 23-minute match, and it's awesome. And it's the chemistry that these two guys have developed over, now at that point, eight years of Akira Tozawa's career, nine years of Shingo Takagi's career. And they just, the the way, it's just so smooth in a way that also contrasts with the brutality of what these two guys' familiarity to them allows them to do each other and be so, like, confident with it. Like, this was a confident match that was just, like, it, it was not a Dreamgate match. It was not, like, the uh, Kobe World 20... 2011 match sorry the 2011 match where Kirishizawa basically was given so much and took the ball ran with it this was just two pros with such familiarity with each other having an excellent match adding in some nice spice like that uh, apron powerbomb and then a really awesome hot stretch that for a crowd that was pretty down on a lot of this show they got up for the finishing stretch of this and this was just an insane match and really the last few matches you are worth going out of your way to go see because of how strong they were. And this was another four and a half star match in my books. I went four and a quarter. I will say towards the finish, one, Tozawa and Shingo do a spot where Shingo hits that that sharp, that sharp right jab that I, I noted in the Gargano match. That's where Dr. Keith Lipinski's jaw drops, and that's where the match really goes to a next level. Well, Shingo does that same thing here, but Tozawa meets him right back, and they do this sequence where they're just punching each other in the mouth, and it is awesome. The The thing is, the crowd is into this match, but at the same time, there's also a line of people at the door that are afraid they're going to miss their WrestleMania shuttle, and so people are watching this match. Like you notice more and more empty seats as the match is going on because they're watching the match at the exit. And there's a stampede once this match ends. Like they do not stick around for anything. That bell rings and that building empties. Brian Alvarez left this match early because he was afraid that he was going to miss his bus to WrestleMania. And it is just one of those things like, hey, you don't put that John Davis segment on the show 
all of a sudden people can relax a little bit more and enjoy this main event. But as it stands, it was still an excellent match. I went four and a quarter on it. I didn't notice the fans leaving. Maybe I was that engrossed in this match that I didn't notice that. On the, when I used to watch the DVD of the show, I feel like I noticed it much more. It was one of those things that I, I think if I didn't know the story, I wouldn't have picked up on it as much this time around. And I don't know why that would be. It's certainly not like it's a different cut of the show that, that we watched this time around. But it did feel a little bit less pronounced than I remember, but it's definitely still there. No, no, that, that's entirely fair, but God, that, that strike exchange. Unreal. <laughs> just too good. Like, this is why I talk about the comfort and the chemistry of these two, because they're willing to just go clock each other in the face for three minutes, and it, and it owns. Yeah, no, this was, this was a, a tremendous way to cap off a, a show with a lot of, a lot of good, or I, I guess a handful of great matches, and then, you know, just, it was just a weird show. I don't know how to summarize this one. Yeah, like, I can't call the show outright bad because I had two four-and-a-half-star matches on here, but it's just something that, like, th- this is a show that, like, the way I watch these, like, through this, like, sometimes, like, it's a it's a feed that gets disconnected at times. And I constantly have to, like, reload the, the thing that I'm using to watch it and then send the feed out to my TV. And you, I kept on remarking when, like, when the feed cut out, I was like, wow, they really have a lot of time remaining left on the show for these two matches, these two matches, and then... When these matches started happening, I was like, wow, the last hour of the show is phenomenal. It's just the first hour and a half I can't come to grips with in another way where I like look at like the Taylor's Michigan show where I was just like, this match, this show has one match and the rest of it's terrible. Like this is a show that I don't know how I feel about the ladders are legal free. And I don't know if I ever will figure out how I feel about that <laughs> match, but with a semi main event and a main event there, like this is the last true Dragon Gate six man tag match. The last oh one. boy, that's that's depressing to think about. I mean, it's going about to get a lot more depressing. So, as after the show, like there's there are now only eight more Dragon Gate USA shows that we'll be reviewing on this series. And with that, the show next week it will be Bushido Code of the Warrior 2013 from Elmhurst, New York, at the Queensboro Elks Lodge. Mike, this is the first Dragon Gate USA show I watched live on iPay-Per-View. I remember where I was for it. I remember pretty much everything about this show. I'm just, I'm so excited to rewatch this show. And the card for this one is going to be Jigsaw versus Uha Nation, a six-way freestyle match with Orange Cassidy, Drew Gulak, Scott Reed, Caleb Conley, Derek Rise, and Shane Strickland, a bunkhouse match with John Davis versus Chuck Taylor, non-title contest between Johnny Gargano and Rich Swan. Trent wrestles Ata, Akira Tozawa wrestles Anthony Nice in your main event. A best two out of three falls, six-man tag team gate to heaven match, Ricochet and the Young Bucks against AR Fox, Shima, and Tomahawk TT. I'm not going to ask you what a gate to heaven match is. I, I will. I, I Look, I haven't watched the match in a very long time, but I have a feeling I will be defending that gimmick heavily next week because I remember loving that match. I mean, if you have a gate to heaven, I feel like you need to have... Uh kinky horiguchi there you know uh, brother you're you're barking up the wrong tree i completely agree <laughs> but that will do it as i mentioned there's only eight more dragon gate usa shows this is the last show that has a the last true dragon gate six-man pack match we'll talk about what they do 
at Mercury Rising 2014 when we get to it, Case, but that is not for this time. Uh, do you have any other things you want to hit on before we get out of here? No, I think that's it. I'm, I'm really excited for next week now that I look at that card. Yeah, that card, now that like uh, you, you told me what it is, there's not a lot of just chaff there. Basically, every single match on this, even the freestyle match, has things I'm interested in. I have to say, I have a lot more positive vibes going into this show than I did for Mercury Rising 2013. Yes, it, it is this show and the anniversary show the next night, which I've never seen before. Don't ask me why I watched one iPay-Per-View and, iPay-per-view and not the other. I just, I, I've never seen that show. And then everything after the anniversary show I've seen. And uh, I think we need to be celebrating this Bushido Code of the Warrior show because things get pretty bleak from here. Yep, and we will be talking about that next week. You can follow the podcast at Open Voice Gate. I'm at Fujiheya. Case is at underscore in your case. And we'll be back with you next week as we go to Bushido Code of the Warrior 2013. And I get to discover what exactly a Gate of Heaven match is. <laughs> Take care, everyone. <laughs>